mic is on now. And uh, good is the, if you could make sure that the South Fellowship Hall is off. The sound is off and on in here. Just to the. Good morning, everyone. Is there comments or anything about the Epistle, Gospel, Sermon? Anything? Okay, we'll just move into this. See if this works. There we go. So, um, last week I talked broadly about Mount Athos. Um, and some of his spiritual children. Has not been formally canonized as a saint in the church. Uh, however, countless miracles have occurred uh, uh, both during his life and after, and his spiritual children are incredibly holy people. So many things pointing towards him being a saint. But So here's some of the introduction. He was born on the island of Paros in 1897. He worked as a teen in Piraeus. In his early 20s, he started reading the lives of the saints and had a spiritual turning point. We have some people here. It's not... And 40s and 50s, it's still not too late. 60s, 70s, and beyond. So, it's never too late. <laughs> so, he had a spiritual turning point. Undoubtedly, he had a faithful parents. However, that was really a, a point at which he, he uh, turned very strongly towards uniting himself to Christ. So, he went to Mount Athos. But what he encountered there. Uh, was on Mount Athos, he had a hard time finding someone to teach hesychasm to him. And I'll explain that to you. So, hesychasm is the Greek or the English word for, um, well, it comes from the Greek word isichia. Isichia means silence. And so, hesychasm is the practice of the silent prayer, of the Jesus prayer. And um, at that time on Mount Athos, uh, it was the, 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 uh, uh, renewal of Mount Athos hadn't really occurred yet, and so he was traveling around the mountain trying to find an elder who would be able to teach him about the prayer of the heart, about the prayer of Jesus. He had some difficulty finding that, but in the course of it, he ran into uh, a Father Arsenios who became his lifelong companion. That's him pictured there, and that's a book about Father Elder Arsenios. Um, and uh, the two of them, then they finally found an elder. They, they um, served with that elder, and then he passed away. They inherited that hut, and they lived in that hut. And uh, during the summertime, to focus even more, more anonymous, they would actually try, just travel around Mount Athos, the actual peak, um, and travel to different places and pray there for a number of days and then move somewhere else. And then in the winter, they would go back to the hut. Um, and uh, during that time, they, uh, it was mostly just the two of them, and then um, Elder Joseph's brother joined them. And then they, they a more permanent place um, in uh, um, Saint Anne, Little St. Anne's Skeet, and I'll show you more about that in just a moment. But basically, his, faith, his, uh, his health was ailing, and so they eventually had to find somewhere that could be a permanent place for their, their small brotherhood. So this is the, a picture of the Brotherhood. Um, they settled at the cliffside dwelling near Little St. Anne the Skeet. 
Uh, they eventually grew to nine. I believe that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine or ten there in the picture. But um, so then his health further declined, and they moved to New Skeet towards the end of his life, and he reposed in 1959. So this is the extent of the fame of Elder Joseph. So he's pictured right there in the center. That's Elder Arsenios, his uh, fellow co-struggler. And then um, in this picture, some people that I'll be talking about in a little while, uh, there's Elder Haralambos, and that's Elder Ephraim, who now to this day lives in Arizona. So uh, this is a very early picture of the Brotherhood. Um, I will show you where that photograph is taken in uh, just a moment. So for much of the time of the Brotherhood, they lived in this little cliffside dwelling that they built on just a little flat area um, below Little St. Anna's Skeet. Uh, These are some pictures of what it looks like. Uh, That's the the living structure. It doesn't accommodate nine people, so... Uh, they were, uh, you know, sleeping in various, uh, very ascetical forms. And then this is the outside of the chapel uh, where they worshipped. And if I have my technology right, it's a video that I can play. We'll see. Okay. There we go. It doesn't have sound, but just gives you an idea. So this is the little chapel that they built in the side of the cliff. So, again, you see, even though they're extreme ascetics, still their main focus is to build this beautiful and God-pleasing chapel where they could worship. And that's an icon that was put more later of, of Elder Joseph. And this is their little chapel. Activity of the Forerunner. So the chapel was dedicated to the forerunner. There's a story from uh, one elder friend who is in Arizona. He first came to Mount Athos back in 1947, got off the dock, and um, Father Arsenios, who he didn't know at the time, came up to him, and he said, Oh, are you Yanis? That was his name before he was elder Ephraim. Are you Yanis from uh, Volos? And, uh, and Elder Ephraim, who was then Yannis, he said, Yes, I am. How do you know me? He said, Oh, my elder, uh, he was told by the fair forerunner that there would be someone down at the dock for him, a new sheep to have in his fold. So uh, he had a very close relationship with the forerunner. Uh, oh, okay. So then uh, this is the, the, basically the entirety of the space. So back here, there's a little ledge. You can see that's where the chapel is that we had the little video of. This is the entrance. This is the only way to get there is coming around here right next to the precipitous cliff. And then this flat area here is where uh, their brotherhood lived. This is the little uh, dwelling that I showed you. There's a very primitive fireplace here. Uh, One of the important things that they had there is that they built cisterns ways to collect water. It was just really to collect water come cliff, so they had these little they, these little clay gullies along the side of the cliff to collect all the water with rain so they would have water. So very primitive dwelling. He lived um, his life and then at the very to New Skeet, which is another skeet. So, 
relatively faithful. This is the moment he died, and this was a little while after he died. You see the smile on his face? So this was a miracle that was very well attested that occurred. Um, so we, we see the blessedness that which he is experiencing. Uh, this is Elder Ephraim of Arizona. Um, and then this is uh, Elder Haralambos of Dionysio. So just a little bit about each of these. Uh, Elder Ephraim of Katunakia, he just stayed in Katunakia in the desert. He was an ascetic there, living in obedience for many years. Um, Elder Joseph eventually became the abbot of Vatopedi Monastery, and that's why he's known as of Vatopedi. And he was the one that, one of the first books about Elder Joseph, the Hezekast, who was his spiritual father. Um, Elder Ephraim of Arizona, before all the things that we might know of of him here in America. So in 1959, Elder Joseph uh, reposed and... Elder Ephraim then went off and lived an extremely ascetical life just out in the desert of Mount Athos from 1959 all the way till 1973. 1973, he was asked to be the abbot of Philotheo Monastery, and there was a huge turnaround and revitalization at that monastery as a result of his becoming abbot. So much so that um, the, the council of the, the, the leadership on Mount Athos, which is composed of abbots and elders from Mount Athos, um, that council of leadership asked that he would go to other monasteries and revitalize them. So he went to Xeropotamu, he went to Caracalu, um, to Costomonitu. He was asked to go to the Great Lavra, but he declined. Um, and so... Everywhere that he was going, there was this revitalization. And again, as I mentioned last week, at this time before um, the time of Elder Joseph, all of the monasteries, I believe except one, were all idiorhythmic, which basically means a bunch of monks living together but having their own lives. They have their own kitchens, work to support themselves. They do their own prayers, cycle, and services. And so all of the monasteries now, today, all of them are back to what's called Cenobitic Monastery, which means they're all on the same schedule. They all worship together in the same main church. They have their meals together. The work is for the monastery, not for the individual brother. So um, back to the, mon- the monasticism. And idiorhythmic mon- monasticism isn't a bad way. It's just that's more the way of out in the desert. When you're living by yourself or a couple of people living together, it's not the way of a big monastery. So um, very central to the revitalization of that was Elder Ephraim, who was then um, treated for some sickness. Uh, one of his spiritual children asked him to come to Canada for treatment, and he did. And from that time, that was in the 1980s, he started traveling to uh, Canada and America and eventually um, had his mindset on expanding monasticism here in America. Um, Elder Haralambos uh, stayed at New Skeet for a while, and then he went to Dionysio Monastery. So that's another monastery. Uh, we can just keep counting up the monasteries that ha- where the abbots have come as spiritual children from Elder Joseph the Hezekist. Um, any questions so far? Okay, so we'll get to my trip. We'll try not to make it too long. So uh, that's me and my two brothers and my two nephews. This is at the, uh, the port of New Skeet. So everything on Mount Athos, uh, at the, it, out in the, the desert, in the Skeets, everything is transported by mule. So um, this is the beginning of the 800 steps that goes up to where we were staying. And um, the, the, the things are transported by mule, but the people, of course, are walking up and down. Um, so we went and stayed with, uh, we'll go back here, 
Uh, Elder Haralampos is a spiritual child of Elder Joseph. His spiritual child is someone named Yoranga Hilarion, Father Hilarion. And so that's who we went and stayed with, so a spiritual grandchild of, of Elder Joseph the Hezekist. So uh, it's in New Skeet. This is New Skeet. Uh, this is a view of, of one of the, the cells in New Skeet. And, and just a brief reminder, Skeets are collections of cells. Cells are little brotherhoods. So those brotherhoods may have anywhere from one to five or six monks. And they all live together and have a shared lifestyle together. They worship together. And in their, their uh, house or hut or whatever they're living in, they'll always have a chapel where they do their services. Well, at the Skeets, there are a number of these around, these cells, which you think of are like households. And they all get together on Sunday to go to what's called the Kiriakon, the main church of the Skeet. But otherwise, they're worshiping in their own individual cells uh, with their, their brother, monks. Um, so that's new skeet is like that. Uh, this fourth time of new skeet is actually in the um, or the, the Greeks, you should really say, um, the Byzantine Empire in the 10th century, and they have a whole series of these towers along Mount. Would uh, send one tower to the next, which was the early telegram. So. Um, but that still exists today. So this is Father Hilarion, um, and he lives with four other uh, monks, and he is the, the elder. Of the, uh, so interestingly, their cell has no priests. Um, some monastic cells have priests, some don't. They can be the that every community has. When they would like to do services that involve a priest, like priests in the other cells and have them come over to do a liturgy, which we did a number of times. They were also happy to have me there because I'm a priest, so I can do some of the services. But otherwise, do a full cycle of reader services. You know, compline, and then in the morning doing the orthros, volcanic, and um, in the hours. So they call it a midnight vigil. So that's Elder Hilarion. This is inside of the chapel. So house, and then at the end, this, there's stone, and this is how many, many Mount Athos, around the ski, very normal looking building you might find in Greece, and then there's a stone dome, like made out of little stone stones into a dome, near because every single, and this chapel is different. One side, this is the the mark. If um, in the back wall is the dormition, and then this is the dome. And you think this little house, basically, to give you some perspective, or maybe I think the next bit, how big the entire church is. This is a photograph from the very back of the church. So the uh, standing seats called Stasidia, along the sides there are four, along the back there are four, and along the other side there are four. That's how big it is. So, um, you know, roughly about this big. So, but there's still always a place to worship, because worship is of life. Um, and this particular chapel, again, is fully painted with icons on the walls. Not all of the chapels are, like the one I showed you of Elder Joseph. 
because that takes a lot of time to go into that. Oh, those are my nephews. Yeah. Any questions so far? Yes. Yes. Yeah, all the readings are in Greek. So on Mount Athos right now, um, uh, of the, the 20 monasteries, 17 of them are in Greek. There's one Bulgarian, there's one Serbian, and um, there's one that, well, it's, it's Russian, but also they use Greek as well. There's one that's historically Georgian, but they don't use Georgian anymore, they use Greek. And then among the skeets and cells all over Mount Athos, it's all Greek. So, yeah. Any other questions so far? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's, it's few and far between. But yeah, they, they can be, because they are, especially with the, the little cells, they can have a lot of flexibility about what they do. So, so in New Skeet is the, the grave of Elder Joseph. And this is just a photograph of it. It's right by the, the, uh, the cell where the Brotherhood last lived. So um, uh, one of our, our days of the trip was hiking through the desert of Mount Athos. This is a good picture to give you an idea. It's, it's a little bit blurry, but um, enough. Someone wants to adjust the the uh, focus a little bit. But um, you can see that these houses are just built right on the cliff. And most of these, like you see, how uh, this might be multiple stories. On the back side, it's only one story because it's so steep what they're building up that the bottom floor might only be a couple feet wide. Um, and these are views of, uh, this is Katonakia, and this is um, uh, uh, Karulia. So, so then uh, later on on our trip, we went to Vatopedi Monastery, which again is the second uh, oldest, and this monastery is also one of the largest. And in terms of the number of monks, it is the largest right now. They have 120. And they... Uh, Two to three hundred visitors every day. So a lot of talking about philoxenia. Um, so that's a ministry to the world is just receiving all of these visitors. Uh, this chapel right in front of is a balcony. Well, here is the chapel dedicated to the belt of the Theotokos. And how Vatopedi has the belt of the Theotokos. Um, and then over there, that's the dome of the main church, the Catholicon. They're doing construction on plastic around it, but um, I'll show you some photographs of the iconography there. Um, and all, a lot of the monasteries have cranes because they're doing... This is a time of revitalization. These monasteries had, for some of them, hundreds of years of slow decline. And so these hundreds of years, but they need some maintenance and care. So, um, so oh, oh, that's a little much uh, there. So uh, this is uh, a photograph of some of the iconography on the outside of the main church. These are all uh, soldier saints. And then scenes from the life there. And then this is a scene of the Last Judgment a uh, very stark scene if you go up to it closely and you see uh, uh, people being devoured by animals, uh, which, of course, is symbolic of the, the demons. 
This is a river of fire here on the other side. And these, this is uh, the blessed paradise in which are um, uh, Abraham and the Theotokos and, and um, Demas, the good thief on the cross. So, so this is an interesting story. So this is a hole in the ground. This is a well. So um, back when the monastery... Before the monastery was founded, or early when the monastery was founded, uh, there were a lot of uh, barbarian raiders, or not barbarian, they were were pirates, raiding Mount Athos, trying to steal things. And so they would come in occasionally and and go and raid a monastery and kill people and take things and that kind of... So um, this this happened at Vatopedi one time, early when the monastery was built. And um, this, uh, the other monks fled, but this one monk, they had, um, if I can remember this correctly, the belt of the Theotokos, a cross that was given by the emperor. If you remember last week, the monastery is called Bramblebush Child because the emperor's son had a shipwreck. He prayed out to the Panagia. She landed him, lifted him up and landed him on the earth. And when they found him, he was under a bramble bush right at this site. So the emperor, in thanks, there was a, built a church there and de- gave a cross to the church, an ornate gold cross. So this cross was treasured by the monastery, the belt of the Theotokos, of course, and then this candle that they had that never went out. It just kept burning and burning, never burned down. So these three things the monk hurriedly put down into the well. This is a well. And he put them down into the well, they went into the bottom, and then by the pirates because he couldn't get away quickly enough. He was sold into slavery. He was a slave for most of his life in North Africa. Finally, he was freed in old age and at that same time, there were these three brothers that were inspired by God to go and live a monastic life and they were wealthy and so they wanted to go and start a monastery. They went to Mount Athos and they appeared there and um, these three brothers at the same time ran into this old man who was coming from his years of slavery and at where there was just a church and they said we'd like to found a monastery and he says I know where the, these precious things are let's go look and so they went and uncovered the well he had covered up the well and the well was uh, intact and everything and they looked down below and the candle was lit and the cross and the, the belt of the Theotokos are still sitting on the surface of the water and so they brought them out so this well is that red that you see on the edge, that's the edge of the, the Catholicon, the main church. So this well is kept there to this day, right next to the main church. So, of course, it's not used anymore, but if you look down it in person, you would see it's about at least 30 feet down to the water. This is the ossuary. This is a very clear, every monk, of what happens to all of our bodies. All depart this life. And so, as is the monastic tradition, and this is common also throughout Greece, um, people are buried, and then it's, their, their body is given a few years to decompose, and then the bones are exhumed and placed in somewhere called an ossuary, so that someone else's body can be buried in the same place. Um, and so, at the monasteries, this is the practice at all of them. And so, they keep the, the skull of every monk here, uh, the other parts of their body, these are uh, hip bones, and then they're all organized down there. This is actually a pit looking down. 
So, um, it's hard, for some of you, it might be hard to look at, to imagine this. You might think of like Halloween or something like that. But this is reality. This is what ha- is happening to each and every one of us in this room. We just don't want to think about that. So at the monastery, it's very clear. This is where you'll end up. This is where your, your body will be. What will you do between now and then so that your body is the only thing that uh, is uh, decomposing? So um, there is also another miracle here. Uh, they were uh, cleaning out the ossuary one time, just sort of organizing things, and there's this very rich fragrance in the air. And so they were looking all around. At first they thought someone was burning incense, and they kept looking around, and they went behind the um, shelf, and they found an entire uh, uh, skeleton altogether. Now, of course, in the ossuary, all places certain skeleton was the one giving the fragrance. And so um, they realized that this was some holy man, very holy, saintly, who knew his time of repose, as many saints do, and walked himself into the ossuary and sat down there so no one would know anything of his sanctity. And so um, they brought his relics out. They still have them in the church. Uh, they named him Saint Evdokimos, which means... Um, uh, I don't know, Robert, if you want to help with that. Kind of like uh, you ran the good fight, you, 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 you uh, received the prize, kind of like that. And so um, he, uh, a while later, appeared in a dream to the abbot, and he said, uh, I don't remember the name, I think it was like Stavros. He said, my name is actually Stavros, but since that's the name you gave me, we'll keep that name. So, <laughs> um, and so they still have his relics in the church. Um, any questions about this? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the, the uh, skulls are labeled, oftentimes. It's not always, it hasn't always been accomplished. So you, you see skulls where there's nothing on them. So, but oftentimes they are, yeah. Anything else? And you can just walk in there and go and touch the skulls. It's, uh, it's a, a very profound thing. I think every single one of us has touched a fake skull before. It's not the same. It's not the same. So, any other questions about this? How, I don't know how we're doing on time. Anyone? 33, okay, so we've got 12 minutes. So I think we have plenty of time. Yeah. Okay. So that's Vatopedi. Then the other monastery we visited is Simonos Petros. And that's Simon's Rock. That's what that means because Simon was a monk. And he had a vision to build a monastery up on that rock, and so that's what he did. And they built it straight up on top of the rock. Um, and this, uh, the, the, the darkness here, those are wooden balconies, wooden walkways. So um, imagine that you're 200 feet up in the air and you're walking on a wooden balcony looking straight down. It's pretty intimidating. So you have to really trust the, the, the workmanship. <laughs> Um, and then they have a terraced garden down below there. Um, and then this is, I think this is our final photo. This is the inside of the church at Simono Petra. Um, so, uh, so a number of the churches, their, their main church, which is called the Catholicon, uh, has gilded um, icon stands and iconostases. So uh, this is common for a number of the monasteries. At Vatopedi they have the same thing. 
And this is where I celebrated Dormition, because uh, Mount Athos, I don't think I mentioned this, Mount Athos is on the old calendar, so they celebrate things 13 days later than the rest of us. And so um, they celebrated uh, Dormition on our August 27th, which is while I was gone. So I celebrated Dormition twice. Um, but we had a metropolitan from northern Greece who was there serving at Simonopetros and all the monks and all the, the priests and everything. So that's pretty much it. I didn't want to spend too much time on my particular... I'll open it to any broad sort of questions about anything. Yes. Good question. So the question is, since we're recording this, uh, the question is, are the monks doing the, uh, the artwork of the iconostas, the, the, the icons... Uh, the chandeliers, any of that metal work. Uh, I would say uh, for the most part not because uh, at the monasteries, in the cells and the skeets, it's a little bit different. But at the monasteries, um, because they have these beautiful churches, the, the craftsmanship that you see here is the kind of craftsmanship you have in a handful of people in the world. So it's not something that a monk could quickly learn how to make a chandelier like that. And if you can, I don't know if you can quite... And spinning it. So it's spinning back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Meanwhile, there's a little chandelier that is spinning in a. So it's beautiful in the, in the darkness. So, another question? Yeah, it's, it, you can tell it's not very big. Uh, so Simono Petra has 30-something monks. Um, so this, the Catholics have three different parts um, in addition to the sanctuary behind the Alconistas. They have kind of like an outer narthex and an inner narthex and then the nave. Um, and people will be inside any of those. So um, the, the actual nave that you see pictured here is uh, roughly about from the blackboard forward here. It's not very big. Much smaller than our own nave. Um, but then you have the, the inner nave and the outer nave, so it probably extends all the way back past, about to the back wall. It's right on top of a rock, so they only have a li limited uh, real estate to work with. Uh, and it does, the one takes a much monastery there at Simono Petros. At Vatopedi. Tree, so it had these marble floors where you could just see the wear of hundreds of years of people walking over them. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the the question is, uh, how do they, the number of visitors and what's unless you are received. 
So the way you get received is either you're invited for some reason, or you just, as a stranger, you can call up a monastery. Even a non-Orthodox person can call up a monastery and say, can I stay at your monastery for these two nights? And they'll say yes. And when they do, then they either they send something to the, the visa office in Ornopolis, or they send something to them, and then that's what will eventually get them the permission to come. They have to have a place to stay in a duration. Just like entering a country, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, 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 only males, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Personal question. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's hard to describe, just a, a immense joy at being able to serve there on Mount Athos and really have the holiness permeates uh, geography. Because we don't think about that, that we're, we're so mind and body separated. The mind is where all the spiritual things happen, and the physical world is just this place that we're in. And that's totally wrong. Places are sanctified by the holy people that are there or have been there. And you can experience this, but you don't have to go to Mount Athos to experience this. You go to any place where there is a history of sanctity, uh, an older monastery. Much of this, you, you kind of have to go to the old world. You can experience it somewhat here, like going out to our beloved monastery in Goldendale, or going down to St. Anthony's, or some of the other places. But it's new here. And so what I'm, what I'm describing is almost like uh, something that you experience of the actual place itself, not simply the people you're interacting with. That, too. But there's something about the place itself. And so I would highly recommend, if you're able to, it's not financially possible for everyone, go to Greece. Go to the Holy Land. Although the Holy Land, sometimes it can be a little hard because there's so many conflicting people there. You might not experience it quite the same. Go to Russia. Go to Romania. Go to Serbia. Go to these places where you can go to Lebanon, where you can really experience the centuries of holiness and visit a monastery there. It's a, a blessed experience. So that's for everyone. I know Mount Athos is only for males. But yeah, so that, that's, that's some of what it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's not really readily describable, <laughs> unfortunately. It was an immense blessing to be able to serve there at this little chapel. Um, I sort of had it in my mind that I might have to serve at one of these big monasteries, and I was glad I didn't get asked to do that, because it's intimidating. But at this little cell chapel, it was just uh, it's such a, a whole have, you know, a dozen of us there all worshiping together, celebrating the Divine Liturgy, and in such subdued tones and simple chanting and just very everything in a very uh, quiet way. Uh, how long was I on Mount Athos? Uh, I should have that answer readily available. About uh, eight nights. Seven or eight nights, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, somewhat I did, but I was also there during Dormition, and so there were a lot of pilgrims there. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily categorize. At the at Newskeed, at the almost, um, that was much more of a quiet experience. But
it's a transition going holiness permeating you but I didn't really have so much of the experience some people describe so but I don't know I'm an extra as much uh, I came back to Thessaloniki for a night and then back here so straight back here so yeah Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, the question was how much interaction you would have when you encountered a monk. It really depended. It really depended. Um, some of them were just very much, like especially when you're you're uh, walking out in the, the the trails out in the middle of nowhere. If you pass a monk, he's you know, he's saying his prayer. But um, but then when you what well, you experience more interaction is when you're in a setting where the monks are really focused on that philoxenia, because they really have that very strongly. When you enter a monastery or a skeet, they're going to bring you raki, which is um, similar to ouzo, kind of like an anisette liquor, a little glass of that, which helps to uh, stop your sweating. I found out, that's what they said. Uh, some lukumi, which you might know as Turkish delight. It's kind of a gelatinous sweet. Um, and some water and some coffee as well, Greek coffee. So they'll, they'll do that, and when you're in that kind of who are talking with you or things like that. It just kind of de- so, and also on the monks. Some of the monks are just you know more austere, and some of them are really uh, outward facing. So, Father Hilarion was very, very warm and conversational. And he had a phone; he would answer phone calls from people and talk to them for a while and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Any other questions? Yes. Yes. Yeah, the question is, are there any elders that are, people are going to? That's where we don't have the pulse very well here in America. I'm sure in Greece they're well aware of some of those elders that are there. It's not... I don't get the impression it's quite... I, don't, I wasn't there in the, like the 80s and 90s when uh, Paisios was there and when Porphyrios was coming back to the, the Holy Mountain. So... I don't know exactly what that felt like, but the way that I hear about the number of people coming through to see St. Paisios, um, I don't get that impression of there's a particular person that everyone is just flocking to see. However, there are all these, there are these spiritual children of St. Porphyrios. There's um, very people who know about those, but it's not quite as broad. So, and I would even say those are and where they are. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. So the question is whether they're, they're not being a whole bunch of priests. There are actually a lot of priests. So there are just some cells that don't have any priests. But there are, there are a lot of priests throughout the mountain. And, and certainly at the monasteries, every monastery has 
I don't know exactly, three to eight uh, priests. So it's not uh, unknown at all. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the monastic life was just a person going out and living in the desert in Egypt. So they didn't have a priest. So the, all the way through monasticism, there has been a closeness and a need for a priest. But at the same time, it's not like everywhere that we live, a priest must be right there. They might go and travel at, for the liturgy, things like that. On Mount Athos, there are quite a few. Yeah. So, uh, uh, final note, Robert, if you want to stick your head out of there. This is Robert. For those of you who haven't met him, he's one of our newer parishioners. Only about a whopping two years, maybe three? Not even. Okay. So, um, Robert uh, has gone to Mount Athos many times, and he just mentioned to me informally, he's going to go, uh, kind of annually you do, uh, around August or September. Um, so if any of you are interested, he's not doing a tour or anything, but if anyone's interested and wants to go, and it can be intimidating going by yourself, uh, he's offered uh, generously that if anyone wants to join him on a trip, then uh, talk to him. So that's it. And God willing, maybe we'll have a, a, a pilgrimage someday. I understand there was a group that went a number of years ago, but that would be a wonderful thing. Okay. Thank you very much for your time and your attention, and have a blessed day. Yes.